Hey everyone, welcome back to the 11th episode of the Pivot Points podcast. We got a special one here for you today. It's actually the first guest ever. We've locked down a very special one for you guys. She is the CEO of Select Sales Development and a certified speaking professional. For more than two decades, she has been working with these professionals across a plethora of industries from pharma to pest control. Because of her, these companies were able to sharpen their sales skills, fine-tune their action plans, and most importantly, shift their mindset about what is possible for their lives, businesses, and growth potential. Her signature keynotes are based on the premise that four simple words create new possibilities, which we'll talk about more. Everybody, please give a warm welcome to Merit Khan. How are you doing, Merit? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, of course. We're uh, we're glad to have you here. I'm actually here in Virginia Beach right now visiting my family. I know Bennett. How you doing, Bennett? He's over in Colorado right now, I believe. Oh, doing well. Doing Bennett, well. that's where yeah. I'm at too. <laughs> oh, no way. Whereabouts? Yeah. I'm 20 minutes south of the airport. Cool. All right. Yeah, I'm uh, in Edgewater, um, Denver, or right outside Denver. We could be doing this together live. <laughs> uh, next episode. Yeah, our next plan is to to kind of move to live. Our our whole podcast is, has been remote as Bennett's more on the West Coast and I'm on the East Coast. And so that got, can venture into our first question. So Merritt, where do you, you said you're in Colorado right now. Where do you, you find yourself? I know you, you seem like you're traveling a lot for these speeches and so forth. So where are you, where are you finding yourself these days? Well, it's interesting. I um, I was originally based in Chicago, moved out to Denver in 2008. And at that time, my business was um, more traveling to speak at different conferences and to be on client sites, to work with their sales teams and get systems and processes in place. And, and then after the pandemic, I pivoted like everybody else and uh, leaned into really doing more virtual training, coaching, consulting, things like that, and uh, started my own podcast and did that for a while. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's great to be, have a home office base and then to be able to travel um, to, you know, as needed (laughs) instead of always on a plane every week, like it had been for a while. Definitely, definitely. And I know you do a lot of things. You you started your company, you know, business speaker. So you're very knowledgeable in a lot of different things. How did how did that come about where you started learning these things and kind of finding your path into, okay, this emotional intelligence path and the things that you've come to? Because you have a very special way of, of selling and marketing and finding the difference between the two. I've watched some of your videos. So I'm just curious how you got so involved in the space. Well, I started in radio advertising sales right out of college, and that was a great place for me because I'm a very, I'm, I'm a people person, right? So I really enjoyed learning from people, listening to their problems, figuring out how I could help them, you know, when radio advertising could, was a good solution to help them grow their business. Um, I really I had a lot of success there and I really enjoyed that field. Um, And then I put myself through a training program for a sales management training course. And my theory was always you dress for your next job, you train for your next job, you you talk and act and conduct yourself as if you're already in that role. And I know you two are probably big believers in that because I listened to your uh, previous episode that you did on mindset, which I thought was really um, a good excellent frame for that and and how important that is. And so that was my 
my thinking. And as I was doing this management training, lo and behold, I was invited to uh, apply for a position as a, a general sales manager in the country's third largest market. And I wow. got that job and I was way too young and way too inexperienced for it, if I'm really honest with myself. Right. But they saw something in me and and I rose to the challenge and I, I accepted the position. And in that role, I actually discovered something about myself that I really liked the training, coaching, developing people more so than I was married to anything specific in, in the radio business. And so that really gave me an opportunity to try some new skills, develop some new skills. And eventually what I did was I left the radio business to open up my own sales training company. And that I've been doing that since 1998. Um, I love it. It keeps me fresh. Um, and over the years, I, I didn't have the language for it when I started because I think sometimes things need to percolate. You need to kind of rack up some experiences before you can really take a step back and assess what worked about that, what didn't work about that, what's teachable about that, what could be duplicated um, and, and shared with other people so that they can shortcut their own process. And that's where I really discovered that what I've been doing all along was what I now call the Open for Business Framework. And it was really this combination of working on mindset, mechanics, and motion that I had done consistently my entire career. I just didn't have the language for it early on. Um, so I can I can tell you more about that if if right. that makes sense. But that was really that's really been my journey. And um, there have been these little moments along the way where it was like, oh, you know, sales skills alone, the mechanics of selling wasn't the thing that put me over the edge to make me successful and to really impact the way that I was able to help other people. It was, it was, sometimes it was more mindset, you know, and leaning into having stronger beliefs and working on my beliefs about money and the kinds of projects I was wanting to do. And sometimes I had to lean more on being in motion. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I know what I'm saying. I have a strong mindset, but I'm, if I'm really honest with myself, I'm just not picking up the phone. I'm not meeting enough people. I'm, And right. so I would kind of look at my goals and action plans. And so throughout my career, it's always been this dance between, you know, sometimes I need needed to put a little bit more focus and attention on mindset. And other times it was just, what am I doing to be in consistent motion? And other times I needed to learn a new skill. And so I think that's really been the secret is knowing which aspect of that open for business framework I was already strong in and which was the aspect that I really needed to zero in on to get to that next level. Okay. Um, man, I, so that's, that's really interesting. And I, I kind of want to play off that because your, your emotion mechanics and mindset framework is not something that I've heard before, but, um, but how, how do you, focus on motion when you're not sure if it's motion in the right direction. I'm always worried that um, my motion doesn't trans doesn't necessarily translate to progress. And many times I need to take a step back and reevaluate, is this motion or is this progress? And so I, I'm wondering how you might uh, approach that, that concern. 
I think that's a really insightful question, Bennett, because you first need to be clear about the outcome that you're after. And sometimes it's a it's a very specific goal. Um, sometimes new information comes into our experience and we have to redecide the goal or redecide the action plan on the way to getting to that goal. But I think the first step really is clarity. So I tend to work in 90-day sprints. Um, I, I think about, you know, what are the three major things I want to accomplish or focus on in these next 90 days? And that's where I then look to build my action plan so that I have a way to reference the activity that I'm doing. Is that going to get me to the 90-day uh, outcome that I'm after. And gotcha. that I think, so goal, so being in motion is, is really a, a few things. So it's number one goals. Number one, it's uh, number two, it's the game plan. Number three, it's about getting back up <laughs> um, because there's rejection and setbacks and all kinds of things. And then it's uh, go time, you know, and go time is really tracking and measuring the realistic actions and behaviors that you're taking so that you don't just think and feel like you're busy, but you really can demonstrate evidence that you are in action. And I think part of why that's so important is, well, because obviously, as an example in sales and any business owner or entrepreneur knows, you know, you can't just be good at what you do. You have to let other people know about it so that they can say yes to your offers and and work with you and get the benefit of your genius. So I think that by doing those things, you're also sending that message out into the universe that says, hey, look, I'm serious about this. And I'm serious about providing value in the marketplace. I'm serious about growing my business and achieving my goals. And it's not just something that I say, like, I don't just say I want a million dollar business. I'm actually doing the things that are required to enjoy the fruits of the labor of being a million dollar business. And I think that's important, you know, mindset or sorry, being in motion actually impacts your mindset in a really positive way. If you're doing the right kinds of actions to get you to the goals that you want. Okay. I, I absolutely agree. Um, uh, uh, that's, you know, an amazing answer and it's a constant worry of mine, but the way the way you approach it, you know, you can always feel good about putting yourself out there when you do have the evidence and the the progress and the goals, and then that, you know, a- accomplishing those goals to back up um, your business in in the marketplace. But that kind of leads me into my next question, which is about your uh, sales training company, and just for all the salespeople that are listening. You know, what do top performing sales professionals or entrepreneurs need to know to consistently grow their business? Well, um, the the first thing is uh, we like to remind people that you actually want to stop selling. (laughs) Selling is very self-focused. Selling, you know, sells the word has a you know, bad connotation to it, like nobody wants to be sold or feeling like they're being pressured or anything like that. So I like to remind people, really, just stop selling. 
Stop trying to push your features and benefits on other people. Stop trying to be the solution, the one fit stop shop for every problem that anybody's ever had because you're never going to be that. Um, and start getting selected. And that's why we called our own our business Select Sales Development. And we spell it S-E-L-L-E-C-T. Um, not because we can't spell, but I, I know you guys are familiar with that since you spell pivot strangely. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. I get it. I get it. <laughs> right? We're, we're all clever until it comes to SEO. And then it's like, oh, that might not have been a great idea. But yes. Um, yes. <laughs> but yeah, so stop selling, start getting selected. So how do you do that? And And I would say that this is uh, important ideas for not just for the people who know and acknowledge that they're in a sales role, but especially for people who would never call themselves a salesperson. I've worked many years with, I work with attorneys, engineers, architects, people who are really good financial advisors. They're really good at what they do. They're professionals. They're, they've been highly trained, certified. They've spent a lot of time becoming an expert in their industry and they would never in a million years consider themselves a salesperson. But at the end of the day, how do they do what they do? How do they get more clients to deliver their expertise? Well, <laughs> sorry to break it to you, but you're that's a sales conversation. And so I think the most important thing that people could focus on is the idea of to be more influential with other people. We really have to understand what has influence over us. And when I think about that, that's where I really believe that um, our programs, as an example, really take people in a slightly different direction than they think, you know, like, oh my gosh, I'm signing up for a sales coach or sales mm -hmm. training. Well, you expect to learn what do I say and how, you know, what questions do I ask and how do I set up an expectation and how do I close the deal? You expect that and you'll get that. But my philosophy is sell them what they want and give them what they need. And what people need is to understand that if you are overly optimistic and you don't balance that out with a little sense of reality check, then I can teach you great questions to ask. But as soon as somebody says, oh, that sounds great. I'd like to, I think I'm interested. You're only going to hear what you want to hear. And you might miss the opportunity to ask a challenging question that allows your prospect to find out um, that they actually need you more than they even thought. So like, I could go into, I could go on and on and on. We could talk for hours about that, but I think, you know, to be more influential with other people, we have to understand what has influence over us. And that's right. where, you know, understanding who you are, how you, how you're wired, how you make decisions, what you think is a lot of money. Um, you know, all of that comes into play for you to really understand how you can have more influence with someone else. That's really, really insightful. And going off of that, one of your YouTube videos that I watched, you went into the different marketing and sales things that you were kind of, is this a myth or was this true? And one thing that really caught my eye in that video was you said, nobody matters but the customer. And you said, is this true or not true? And you called it a myth and then not true. And you know, I, I really, I agreed with you on that because I came in an instance a couple months ago with a client of mine that probably heard the term of, I, I had to fire a client and sometimes you have to fire clients. And I, I was just curious when you say this, nobody matters, but the customer is somewhat of a myth. Are you talking about that where maybe sometimes these customers' expectations or what they want and 
maybe they're not doing their part of the agreement. Is that kind of what you're going off of that way? Or are there a lot of different ways you can analyze that? Because I, I just agreed with that so much, the fact that they preach to you, customer is always right, but there are times where the customer could be detrimental to your business, I feel like. Absolutely. And I that particular myth applies in several different kinds of scenarios. So I wrote a book called Myth Shift, Challenging the Truths that Sabotage Success. And it's uh, it's a really hard title. <laughs> I won't name anything myth shift again. That's hard to say. Um, but the there were several myths that I talked about. And this idea that nobody matters but the customer. I mean, how many times have we heard that? You know, the customer's always right and yada, yada. Right. But the truth is, if you're a business owner and you have employees or contractors or anything, you know, they matter as well. Um, in fact, I would argue that they matter even more than your customer because right. you won't be able to serve your customer if you're not taking care of your team. 100%. And so I think that's a, you know, that's why it's a myth. It's like, well, if the customer's always right and you're, if you're a business owner, as an example, and you're taking your customer side, you're about to lose that, that employee. You know, it's, it's uh, the same as, you know, like I have a, I have a son and, you know, if I take the teacher's side on everything, he's going to feel like, well, wait a minute, I thought you were supposed to be my biggest cheerleader. Right. And so you always want to kind of look and make sure you're considering all the angles. But I also think, you know, the first sale is to you, right? So sometimes we think, you know, the, the if the customer is always right and only the only thing that matters is the customer, then we're, we may be doing things in our offers or how we structure an, a client engagement that are great for the customer, but really not great for how we work, right? So thing, as a simple example, if I'm only focused on the customer and not really how I like to work or my own patterns or habits, I might schedule, I might open up my calendar for meetings at 5 a.m. because maybe that's good for my customers, but I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. and be, right. you know, supposed to be the sales expert. I, I want to be a sales expert at 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. <laughs> but you know, like, you're going to get much better advice from me a little bit later in the day when I've had a, a full night's rest. So I think sometimes we just need to look at things that we're taught or told as the gospel truth and be willing to be open to another way of looking at that. And what I have encouraged audiences and clients, whether I'm doing a keynote at a conference or working one-on-one -on -one with a VIP client, the one question I keep coming back to is, are you open to? It's a question I ask them. Uh, you know, are you open to a new possibility? Are you open to being coachable? Are you open to new ideas or res resurrecting ideas that you had in the past that maybe there wasn't the right time for them? Or maybe mm -hmm. there's a nuance to them. Um, or maybe this the marketplace has changed enough so that now this idea is an appropriate offer. So, right. you know, I, I feel like there's a combination of things. When you ask somebody, have you already decided it can't get any better? Or are you open to a new possibility? It's not a yes or no question. They have to really think about that. And most people don't want to admit that they're not open to something. So it's a much better question than, you know, hey, are you interested in sales training? No, not really. Are you open to the possibility that you could close more deals? Well, yeah, I'm open to that. Oh, okay. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe sales training is a solution. So I think you have to first get people into the right mindset so that whatever you're talking to them about or asking them or offering, whether it's, you know, hey, do you want to go see the latest James Bond movie? You know, you've got to first say, hey, are you open to going to a movie? Are you open mm-hmm. to an action flick? Okay, okay, well, how about this one, right? As right. opposed to let's go see this movie. And mm-hmm. they're not really in the right headspace for that. Definitely. And and you talk a lot about your, you know, the EQ training, the emotional intelligence training. And so I feel like that really comes into play here when you're maybe talking to something and or or when you're selling to a prospect and you're seeing, are they going to be a good fit? And so one question kind of going off of that is, uh, from your experience, you know, the emotional intelligence and all the aspects, maybe the cues you pick up, what are some cues for our listeners out there that maybe they could pick up that, hey, this person is going to be a learner, they're going to work with me, or hey, this person is, it's my my way or the highway, you know, they're not going to want to change anything, they have this exact way of doing it, it's not going to work. Are there any cues or things you can pick up in conversations that might be like, okay, this is someone I could work with, or okay, this person isn't going to, you know, work with me at all here? Yeah, there are a lot of cues. I mean, in a perfect world, before you talk to anybody, you do an emotional intelligence assessment, you'd find out exactly how they're wired, then you would know how to proceed, which is a a great strategy, but unfortunately, a little clunky in the real world. Um, I, I have the benefit of that because when I do work with clients or sometimes when they're considering doing, you know, and they do a small engagement with me just to do their emotional intelligence assessment and get some coaching around what their wiring looks like, um, then I have a little bit more insight into how I can be more influential with them, not in a manipulative way, but in a way that will resonate with them. Um, So I think there's a couple of ways of looking at the question you just asked me. So one is, if you were to think about it like an interview, so the best kinds of job interviews, I've trained managers for years on how to conduct better interviews to specifically for hiring salespeople who are really good at knowing what to say to get the job, but then maybe not so good at doing the work. Um, but a behavioral-based question is always the best thing to do. So let's say I'm doing some small talk with someone and I learned that they were they played sports in high school. And I would I might say, Oh, awesome. Like tell me tell me about that. Like how did you how did you learn? How did you improve when you were a football player? Um, you know, or how has that impacted how you learn new things in the business world? So I might ask a question like that and and learn a little bit about, you know, oh, well, I work with a coach or I train every day. I go to the gym. I, you know, so then I can kind of say, well, you know, working with a sales coach is a little bit like that. You know, it's it's coming to classes and working with um, people to practice skills. And, you know, so if I can give them that connection because I've learned a little bit about how they learn, that's a good thing. Um Testing if they're open-minded is a is another great one because any consultant or expert will tell you it's there's really nothing more frustrating than trying to work with a know-it-all. And so, if you look at my website, even as a as a case study, you'll see language on there that says, you know, please don't refer us to just everybody that you know. <laughs> we don't want that. Um, you, in fact, there's no buy now button on our website for select sales 
because you can't get into one of our programs unless you talk to one of our certified trainers. Um, we don't work with everybody. We will screen you. <laughs> and if you are not, if you're a know-it-all, we're going to say thank you so much for your interest and let me point you in a direction, but I don't think we're a good match. And I'm not going to say, you know, you're a know-it-all, but there's questions that I know now to ask that, um, you know, I just, it, life is too short. I don't want to work with people like that. Um, so I think you have to know as a as a business owner or entrepreneur, salesperson or whatever, you know, what are your, what are the psychographics of your best client so that you can then develop some questions so that you know what you're looking for beyond somebody who can fog a mirror and pay your rate. I love that. You know, that's uh, something I would always go to when I'm trying to teach anything, whether it's, you know, any skill, just how full is this person's cup? How teachable are they? And I always put it in terms of something I, I learned a while ago called the teachability index, which is, you know, your willing your willingness to learn times your willingness to accept change, if you, if you will, for a, a rough theory of it and and it's it's pretty clear that you're you know you're truly adept in in what you do showing that you're asking all the right questions and that's what i what i really think people need to do because we're all i always go back to that we are all programmed and we're we're so similar to literally the the computer code running you know your website for example like it it kind of b- blows my mind how change fr- changing the framing of a question has such an impact on how receptive somebody is to to what you're saying and all all ties into just that teachability index and you know how how willing how willing are they to uh to listen to what you have to say are they a know-it-all um and that you know i I don't even have uh, another question right there, but I just I just love that point that uh, you know hit, really hit home for me. I've dealt with so many people that uh, that are just like that, and we really have to humble ourselves before we. You you just need to humble yourself before you go into any space and think and start you know touting that you really know something when there's other professionals that you know are all around you and you don't know what they could know or could teach you yeah i think you just have to be just a little bit um i don't know maybe careful is not the right word but you it's a dangerous place when you think about well maybe i don't maybe i don't have all the expertise to share and so i'm going to be quiet about what i want to give to people because there's somebody else out there that might do it better right so that's kind of imposter syndrome and i think the the thing that has been the best um antidote for that is what i learned from reading the book mindset by carol dweck i don't know if you've read that one but i highly recommend it and she I'll talks about check it out. Yeah, really, really well done. She talks about the difference between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And 
basically, if you look at the world, if your worldview is from a fixed mindset, then you either are good at something or you aren't good at something. And it's just the way that it is. But if you look at, at the world through the lens of a growth mindset, then you might say, you know what, currently I don't have a great three, three point shot, but I have everything that I need to learn it. I know who I could go to coach. I could, you know, get some gym time and I could figure it out. And so if you take that mindset to anything, then it's basically the declaration of I'm not, I may not currently have this skill, but I have everything that I need. I can rely on myself. I'm confident. I'm a learner. I'm open-minded. I'm, I'm good at asking for help. I'm assertive enough and I can go and get that skill. And I think if you have that, then the world is open to you. But if you have mm -hmm. a fixed mindset, it is this way or it isn't that way, um, you're going to be kind of stuck and you're going to really be frustrated. Right. And and kind of going off of that and what you said, Bennett, the, the teachability index and, and the different attributes that you're talking about, Merit, what do you think are some of the, and you know, there probably are just so many out there, but for you, what you've seen in, in your industry, what do you think are some of the most important emotional intelligence attributes for the salespeople kind of switching to the other side, the people selling? What do those people need for their intelligence when they're going into, you know, like you said, not trying to sell, but trying to get selected there? What, what should they be trying to learn as far as their attributes for say? Well, there's uh, there's 15 different attributes that we assess for. I I use a tool that's the it's the most valid scientifically validated tool in the marketplace. It's um, through a company called MHS Multi Health Systems. They're out of Toronto, and I've been certified with them since 2008. And the top three attributes of a highly successful top performing salesperson are self regard emotional self-awareness, and optimism. Um, and so, sorry, not emotional self-awareness, more like um, self-awareness self in, in general. Um, and that really speaks to uh, confidence, um, being able to see a situation working out, or you want to have you, you want to be lean a little bit more optimistic than anything because otherwise, you know, it's a tough business because it's full of rejection. And, you know, if you don't see a positive outcome, why are you going to get up there and, and make your offers? And then it's also about um, having that growth mindset. So it's really understanding that, you know, you can learn new things. You have wide, you know, interests so that you can relate to people. Um, and I think those really show up as, you know, of all 15 attributes, those are really important when it comes to being strong in a, in a selling role. Definitely. Well, yeah, th thanks so much. I, those are, that's just so insightful. I know me and Bennett both are, are really interested into, you know, the emotional intelligence aspect and everything you talked about. So that, that's just amazing insight for our viewers. Kind of, as you know, we like to, to pivot a lot here, hence the name pivot points. <laughs> you said you, uh, so you got a hobby. It's, you're a stand-up comedian. You said that you, a lot of the things that you've learned in business or helped pivot uh, your business are, you know, some things you've maybe put into your comedy show and things like that. I'm just, you know, curious, how'd you get into that? How do you like it? You know, me and me and Bennett love, love, uh, you know, stand-up comedy and stuff like that. So that's just so interesting uh, to have that as a hobby. You know, how'd you get into that? I got into it just 
uh, I, I was doing a lot of uh, speaking in my business at that time. This was back in 2014. And I, I was getting a lot of keynote business. I was, um, which are really one-way conversations from the speaker to the audience. And I was always, I came from a training background where it was a lot more interactive. So I would be leading and, you know, facilitating working sessions. People would say something and then I would just jump in with a funny comment or play off their responses. So it was more like in the moment improvisation. I I have a funny worldview. I see things funny. So that was a very easy environment for me. But when I was having one-way conversations as a keynoter, I wasn't as funny as I wanted to be. So I really wanted to learn how to write a tight joke. I really wanted to be more scripted funny. And so I took this course from a stand-up professional stand-up comedian. Her name is Christina Hall. I think she still does the course. And um, it was the most terrifying thing that I'd done. Now, here I was, a, a professional speaker, so no problem in front of an audience. But, you know, I knew that it was my content people were paying me for, and that's what they wanted from my message it had nothing to do with me being entertaining. They hoped for that, but they were paying me for the content. In a stand-up set, their expectation is laugh, 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 right. like every seven seconds. And I was writing all my own material. So it was really, uh, it was terrifying. <laughs> it was, you know, right. it was terrifying. Um, anyway, so I did that for a while, just playing around with it. I, I enjoyed it um, immensely. And then- uh, my marriage was falling apart. So by 2016, I was I was having a lot of challenges. And so my comedy, I was writing about the things that frustrated me and the things that mm-hmm. um, were challenging. And writing, you know, going through a difficult life experience, but processing it through the lens of comedy was probably the best therapy I've ever had, but right. it shifted how I thought. So instead of being heavy and significant and and dwelling and lingering in the problem and the challenge of it, I was able to fairly quickly get to what's funny about this, what's ridiculous about this. Like, okay, I know that I know that this is going to be over. Like at some point, I'll laugh about this. And and I guess at some point, I came to the realization that you know you've heard. Um, tragedy plus time equals comedy. The, right, yeah. the the thing that I started to realize was no one said how long it has to take before you can get to the comedy part. Mm-hmm. And so I began to experiment with how quickly can I take something that I would put in the tragedy column? How quickly can I find the funny? Mm-hmm. And I apply that to business because, you know, there are deals I didn't get or there's um, offers that I thought were great or technology solutions I spent a lot of time to learn and spent money to implement and all of that. And then it didn't turn out. And so I would be like, okay, well, there's a joke in here somewhere. I just have to figure it out. (laughs) Um, And it just, it's been a great way of, of looking at the world. It definitely takes the pressure off to and then to be able to go and laugh at you know the circumstances around you you know just makes you look at life a little you know take it a little less seriously and take a step back 
Um, I think we all, I think we all need that uh, here and there for sure. I totally agree. And uh, I ended up writing a one woman comedy show um, for my 50th birthday, which was really um, just an exercise. It didn't start out to be that way. It started as I'm just going to write 50 minutes of original comedy for my 50th birthday. I kind of thought about it like would be cool to have my own Netflix special. So I'm just going to write like I had been doing 10 or 20 minute sets and I'm just going to double that. And it ended up that I, because I had been doing professional speaking and keynoting, I had lots of stories and I always want to leave people better than I found them. So I would have these little doses of inspiration throughout. And it ended up being more like a one woman show where I had costume changes and a set and a storyline. And it was fascinating because as I wrote it, it took on a life of its own. I didn't really set out to write something like like it turned out, but it ended up being the journey back to where I've always been. And I got to look back at my entire life through a lens of comedy because I didn't discover comedy and and that didn't really shape everything in my life until 2014. So I had a lot of years to go back and say, huh, what was funny about that? What was funny about that? What did I learn from that? How did that shape the future? And it was just a really neat exercise. Someday I will take the show on the road and give everybody else a chance to to see the show. But also I'd love to do a workshop on that. And so people mm-hmm. can find the funny moments in their life um, challenges and, you know, be a voice that helps people um, look at life through the lens of humor. So definitely that'll be my next pivot. So stay tuned for that one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we're glad to hear that. And we'll be sure to, to tune into that as well. You know, we, we really love comedy here and kind of more into the, the business sense uh, for me, it might just be a me thing. I feel like when I'm in a, in a company or an organization, you're, you're drawn to those happy, funny people. And maybe it's just me because I, I like being surrounded by that. But do you think in a business sense that it's good for leaders and certain people to have that lighthearted comedy to them. I feel like it might allow them to become closer with the individuals working under them or, you know, just be not maybe being liked isn't the right word, but just being respected and, and them knowing you're a good person. Do you think that comedy can can really help an organization for that lighthearted feel? Because I feel like when everyone's relaxed and feeling good, that's when you can be the most productive, in my opinion. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You know, it's interesting because um, with, so I, if I look at kind of comedy and the, and emotional intelligence in this combo, when you think about the leaders, maybe a manager or boss you worked for and they were really awful, the thing, the ways that you would describe that person, I've done this exercise with groups for decades is, you know, most people would describe that. If I say, describe your the worst boss you've ever had, and they'll say like micromanaging and didn't have my back and not supportive and all, you know, serious all the time. The meetings weren't productive, da, da, da. And then if I ask you, okay, well, tell me about the best boss you've ever had. Oh my gosh, you know, they really had my back. I, I felt supported. Um, they listened to me. I, I was able to provide input. Like, they contributed. I learned from them. So it's like this light versus heavy. And I think 
that's why emotional intelligence is so important to know how you're wired from that perspective, because those are the people that we want to lead our teams. Those, you know, people with a balanced, high and balanced emotional intelligence profile, those are the leaders that we, we will walk over hot coals for. And it's less about what they know uh, from an industry perspective or, you know, a tactics perspective. And it's more about who they are being in the world and how they make you feel. And so comedy is not a skill that everybody has, right? You, you have those friends and try as they might, they're just, they're just not funny, but they can be <laughs> good to be around in other ways. Maybe they're good listeners or something like that. But right. to anybody can learn to develop their sense of humor. It's not about having that knock-knock joke. It's about how you, how open you are to seeing the world from a humorous vantage point. And I believe that if you're open to seeing life in that way, then life shows up for you that way. And you show up in it much more lighthearted and that gives everybody around you an opportunity to let their guard down, have real straightforward conversations, really want to give their A-plus effort to, to you as a leader or to your business. Um, I think it's definitely something that pe- – a word that people use to describe me. Like, sure, they'll say like, oh, yeah, she's a sales expert or she's an emotional intelligence expert. She runs a business. They'll say all of that. Oh, she's a great speaker. But mostly what they'll say is, oh, my gosh, she's so funny. It's just easy to be around her. She's a good listener. That's what I want. Like, you know, I can take those skills with me to whatever I do next. Um, but that's that's what has people want to be around you and give you their A plus effort. Definitely. Well, yeah, that that's really great. And I I feel like I really try to take that amongst myself, uh, just being that lighthearted, funny, be serious when you need to be to get stuff done, but you don't need to be, you know, a stickler as some say, or a know it all. And, and that's, that's just how you get people to, that's how resentment builds and, and things of that nature. So I think, you know, we, we've just talked about so many great things. I know I learned a lot, Bennett learned a lot and, you know, we just appreciate you coming on so much, Marriott. Where can, uh, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to learn more, reach out, maybe learn more about your company, things like that. Where's the best place to do that? We'll link all of this in our bio as well for you. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, best place to go would be MerritCon.com. So it's M-E-R-I-T. K-A-H-N.com. And if you throw on a forward slash podcast, that's the secret hidden page. And that page has a form. Just put in your name and email. I don't spam anybody, but I'll send you the open for business framework um, just to learn a little bit more about how mindset mechanics and motion show up in business and and life in general. Um, And then if you'd like to be part of some ongoing communication, I do little quick sales tips and inspirational things along the way. And uh, we'll keep you in touch in, on track with other future offers that we have. And if anything could be of help to you, you know, we'd love to talk further. I love it. This has been uh, such valuable information here. And you, you know, like I said before, you know, it truly shows through how you speak 
what your mindset is and what you're all about. And uh, I definitely hope to hear hear more from you. And I think this is a good place to uh, to end it. We hope to have you back. We hope to um, talk again soon. Well, thank you. It was an honor to be your first guest. <laughs> Definitely. And since you're our first guest, there's a very good chance you are, you will next be our first recurring guest sometime <laughs> down the line as well. So, I love it. So, I love it. <laughs> Merit, we, we really, really appreciate you. And uh, again, thank you so much for being our first guest. Everyone, this has been episode 11 of the Pivot Points podcast and see you next week. Thank you.